documented. Miracles happening today. I'm super excited. Today we have Scott and Kathy Day. And so real quick, my uh, intro for them is when I was very new to Prescott, new to church and everything, I made quick friends with Greg and Lana. So I have very fond memories as a new Christian, always being at their house, always open, sweet, and you bet your bottom dollar that Kathy Day always has M&Ms and peanuts. So I have super fond memories of them. So I'm excited to just tell a little bit about what God did for them in a really hard time. So yeah, without further ado, here they are. Well, thank you for having us today. I'd like to just give a little background on my history. Uh, moved to Prescott in 1983. Was born again on November 10th, 1982. And uh, moved to Prescott to serve God and to live for Jesus Christ. And uh, through that time, uh, I met my beautiful, wonderful wife. And we were married in September of 1985 have two wonderful children, as Rayled mentioned. Greg and Lana uh, are children, and it's such a joy to be here today, and I'll turn it over to my wife. Well, I still have M&Ms at my house. <laughs> she does. So I can confirm. I was born and raised in Prescott and moved away a couple times after high school because I was backslidden, and I thought I wanted to go have fun. And ended up back in Prescott and got saved in March of 82, Moved to Colorado Springs for a year and a half and then came back and met my husband and we were best buddies for a couple years and then he got scared of commitment so he wouldn't even talk to me anymore. <laughs> but then about a year later, he came groveling back saying, honey, I love you. We married me. <laughs> now he's going to say something to me. Truth is truth. That's awesome. Love it. The miracle that we're documenting today. And what's so crazy is I know that they have so many. And Kathy has her own story too. And mm -hmm. so we might have to do that another time too. But the miracle we're documenting is, is your healing from a very, very rare form of cancer is my understanding. So I don't know if you guys want to just hop in and, and talk about that journey. Sure. Let me set a little bit of background on my, my personal health issues. When I was a young man, I worked for the same company for 20 something years and never called them sick. I was a healthy, strong individual and cancer uh, was never, never in my mind as I, uh, became ill in the later days of my life. I, it wasn't until age 55 that uh, I experienced uh, an assault on my body. It began in March of 2018, and uh, it all started with some intense abdominal pain that uh, I thought was just a virus or, you know, something I ate. <laughs> But uh, as time went on, it got worse and worse and worse. It went on for months and he kept not wanting to go to the doctor. And finally, when he had lost 35 pounds and was in so much pain, it's like, you have to go. I don't care anymore. Yeah, it began to affect my lifestyle, my ability to do my job. And uh, I truthfully got a little bit scared. Wasn't sure 
what was happening. And so that time I uh, went and seen my primary doctor here in Prescott and uh, he didn't have a clue. <laughs> and uh, so he set me up with just an MRI to, to get an internal look at uh, what could be happening in there. And so at that time I did an MRI and uh, he retired. Yeah, he, he did retire in, in the process of in between my MRI and the results. Oh, wow. And so uh, I get my results back. I get a call from an unfamiliar doctor that uh, there was a spot towards my liver that they were concerned about and uh, that I should uh, see an oncologist. And so and when he told me that, it's like an oncologist, what is that? What kind of doctors have it? And it's like, is that a cancer doctor? And then we were like, oh, my gosh, you know, we can't mess with this if it's something like that. Do you mind going in kind of to the lead up of you guys going in um, to the doctor? So you're, you lost 35 pounds before uh, you went. Yeah. yeah, I was stubborn and prideful and uh, thought that, you know, I could take care of it myself. It'll get better. It'll get better. I mean, that's very typical. But watching him. Especially if you've always been healthy. Yeah. And then he was starting to get the gray thing going on. And it's like, this is something bad. You can't tell me that you feel okay. Yeah. And you were just working in pain this whole time? Working in pain this whole time. Two jobs. Yeah. And just trying to press through. And, uh, you know, uh, thoughts of uh, cancer never even entered my mind because uh, there's no history of cancer in my family there's no genetic uh issues no my dad's 93 my mom's 91 uh everybody's healthy and strong Uh, anybody that i could relate to health-wise was in good and sound health and you might have said this already what was the time period before you went to the doctor six Uh, months six months yeah within a six month period and then in uh March of 2018 is when I went and got the MRI and was first, you know, told that I need to see an oncologist. And I didn't have a lot of confidence in the doctors in Prescott at that time. Uh, We've had some experiences in the past that weren't very positive. And fortunately, my wife has a doctor down in Mayo Clinic. And uh, it was funny because it was kind of sarcastically uh, I asked him, if I ever get sick, will you take me on as a patient? And he said, of course. You know, and, and this was years This before. was probably wow. 10 years ago that I had mentioned that to him. So when uh, the MRI came in and this doctor I did not know because my doctor had retired, called me and told me to get a hold of an oncologist. Just very casually, like, yeah. you need to call an oncologist. And it was like, well, yeah, what so the heck this is, is that? someone you had never even met before who's breaking right. this yeah. news to you. Right. Oh, my that goodness. boggles my mind, too, because from what I've heard, just other people, is they have people that are trained, like, how to break the news and how to deal especially with cancer. And it's like how you even have a thought that it's cancer is like, hey, MRI looks weird. Go find an oncologist. Yeah, like, what? exactly. That's weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I called my doctor and I said, Scott went to the doctor and they did an MRI and it says we have to see an oncologist. I said, can you, if I send you this information, can you look at it and tell me what you're reading? And could you get him on? Because he had to go on as a new patient. You know, we had to do all the hoops, but within a week, 
he had us down there seeing a cancer doctor. Wow. One of the best in the nation. They have kind of like a resume and the experience in, in, in my doctor that I was seeing had actually uh, had a different type of cancer and beat it. Wow. Which yeah, encouraged her. Yeah. And she beat it. And leukemia and lymphoma are blood cancers. Okay. And so she took that on as a opportunity to study and to learn. And she had a an emotional tie to the disease. And so she really gave it all her all. We, their heart is in it, you could tell. Yes. Yeah. And she could relate and she was so personable and so caring and just would explain everything. Um, she was just really great. It was like, I feel like it was the hand of God that put us in at that time, got us in there right away and got us to her yes. because yes. we started getting answers. But the first answers we got kind of floored us. Towards the end of March of 2018, and, uh, you know, we were seeking answers and seeking, uh, and so uh, we sat in her office and uh, we had had a PET scan by that time. And she confirmed that it was cancer, but they didn't know what type of cancer at that time. And so there was a process to, to figure out what kind of cancer it was. And this is kind of where like all the fun begins. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, uh, it was such a unique cancer that it uh, took Mayo Clinic three months to diagnose a lot of um, I had to go biopsies. through went through three to four biopsies a lot of blood work and at you know in and during this time I'm getting worse and worse and every biopsy was like almost an operation right yes, you know they, they yeah they sedated he, you and, and put you under to do the biopsies so mm -hmm. my body was going through a lot of turmoil at that time and to see this man that has always been the strongest man and healthiest man with no problems to start going through this and having to have operations when he's never had anything. It was, it was pretty freaky for me. It was scary. And, and but, uh, you know, I always had a confidence that God was with me. Absolutely. I never really had a, a spirit of fear or anxiety. I knew that God would take care of me, but, uh, it was a, a challenge mentally and spiritually and physically. And so uh, it was in June of 2018 that uh, the full diagnosis of my cancer came in that I was diagnosed with a non-Hodgkin's large B-cell ALK lymphoma. And the ALK is the tricky thing that makes it so rare. Right. And at this time, Mayo Clinic only had 150 people on record throughout Rochester Mayo Clinic and Phoenix and Jacksonville uh, with this type of cancer. They couldn't find more than 150 people. I was number 151. Wow. And so... Uh, that was scary in itself. Yeah, because uh, truthfully, they, they were very honest with me. They were very upfront and, you know, they very professional, but they told me right up front that there, there's no cure that they know of for this type of cancer. 
Can you guys talk about when you first found out that it was even cancer before you knew what the diagnosis was? Did you break this news to your family or friends or who did you decide to let into your inner circle? Can you kind of talk about that time? Our kids were first thing. And then uh, my mom and dad, we didn't really tell your family right away. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a shocker and unbelief. Of course. When you're sitting at the desk and she says he's got this rare cancer, blah, 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 and there's no cure. It was like getting hit by a two by four in your head. It was just the sickest feeling and you just, unbelief. Yeah, the emotions that go through your mind at that time are almost unexplainable. You you have a understanding that death is possible and Absolutely. that uh, you might not have long. I love you. <laughs> he gets emotional because it is so, it's, it's such a, you know, never in your life you really are on the verge of life and death. And this was yeah. that very tight line of life and death yeah. through the whole struggle. And I mean, it goes on for four years we've been going So what, what are the thoughts going through your head? What was happening? First and foremost, uh, get things in order. Uh, get a plan, uh, come up with a will, and uh, expect the worst, but believe for the best. We did tell Pastor yeah, told, right away. Told Pastor yeah. Mitchell Sr. Mm -hmm. And he was... Uh, Started having, getting people praying for us yeah. right uh, away. Yeah, got a hold of uh, people that I trusted and believed God, and prayers are powerful. Yes. Corporate prayers, huge. It gave you a confidence I can't explain that you knew people were laying hold of God for me. Sorry. No, it's okay. So uh, after that information of no cure, they did give you a little bit of hope. They said, uh, they said even though they, it hasn't been proven, the best options I would have is to go through the normal treatments for normal, quote, normal lymphoma. And so that started the processes of my treatments, which was uh, an intense dose of chemotherapy. Really strong doses. Uh, they said uh, they really wanted to have the chemo nip it in the bud because it was such a rare and unusual type of cancer that and they were unsure of what the end results might be that they wanted to start off with the most powerful they could they didn't want to take steps they wanted to uh, insult it head on and, and at this time it was scary to me because he wouldn't be able to work he had to be in there at the hospital for five days inpatient and then out two and a half weeks and then back five days. And so this little roller coaster. And so he couldn't work. And I'm at the point, it's like, oh my God, how, how what's going to happen? How am I going to pay mortgage, utility bills, food, you know, car payment. And right from the get go, though, God, God started, he came in with the financial blessings that we were never, ever through this whole thing late on one 
electric bill, one house payment, nothing. We did not want financially through this whole period, which is pretty incredible because I'm, I'm a fix it kind of gal. And I'm thinking I have to get a job. Where can I get a job? How am I going to do that and drive him around? What, you know, and it was just, I had a friend that Suzanne Sanchez said, Kathy, you don't need to worry about the finances. You need to worry about Scott and you. She goes, God will take care of the finances. If you ask him and you let him, he will do it. And I had always, you know, oh, we'll get a side job. We get this, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, but it was so big. Yeah. This was so big. Yeah. It was like, I have to, I have to trust God and just believe in what he says that he is our provider. Yeah. And he did. Do you mind sharing some of those stories of how God provided? Most of uh, the financial blessings and provision came through unknown sources. And there were some large amount that were unbelievable. Yeah, through the church, fellow believers donated to our cause, to our needs. Like I said, most of them were anonymous and uh, they didn't want any uh, anything for it. They uh, just we wanted be, to be a blessing. Yeah, we would be in church and get handed an envelope that had cash in it, or you know. Yeah. And then uh, another way, I got to give a shout out to my fellow employees at Safeway. They did a garage sale, and uh, we uh, got almost nine thousand dollars. Wow! They sold hot dogs, and just everyone donated all their junk. For months, and then they had this parking lot garage sale in front of Safeway for him, and uh, oh that gosh. was a you know a big blessing, and it gave us uh, the ability to continue my treatments because those treatments would have involved was I don't know if people understand this uh, I had to be on a twenty four hour continuous chemotherapy drip for oh six God. days. Oh and, uh, you know, I won't get into all the side effects and all the things your body goes through with that intensive chemotherapy going through your body. But the reason they put you in the hospital is so they could monitor and to keep you vitals and your organs and your liver and your kidneys and your heart. Because if it starts to happen, they want to nip it right, right there. They, they don't want you going so home good. and having to come back in an emergency situation. So it was an intense process of chemotherapy. And that took, uh, I was on for six days, off for two and a half weeks, on for six days. And that took six months. So. And when you were on, you, you said you were in the hospital the full six days. And yes. this is in Phoenix? Yes. yes, at the Mayo Clinic So we hospital. did a lot of traveling back and forth and back and forth. And it was a good thing our son's in Tempe because he's only half, half an hour away from the hospital. So I could be at the house and be back and forth to him. Sure. You know. And of course, during this time, uh, COVID oh, had... Uh, <laughs> had uh, made its entrance into the world. And so restrictions on the hospital oh, and the, uh, the, you know, the fear of the hospital of COVID was so prevalent that uh, there's times that people weren't even allowed to come in and visit. Mm -hmm. And if they were, it was for short times and only one person per day for 
a couple hours. Which included me. If I was going in that day, nobody else could come in oh, that day. Oh, my goodness. And it didn't matter if you were only there two hours, you couldn't have someone else come in. That was it for the day. It was, you know. That's so trying. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. How did how did you feel when you were in there? I imagine it'd be lonely for like six whole days without your family. You know, it it, it was, but you know, through technology, FaceTime, and uh, all the the blessings of technology. But truthfully, I gotta say, uh, I got I was never lonely. I always felt the presence of God. Wow. And uh, I always felt that somebody was watching out. It's hard to explain. I'm sorry. It's just uh, supernatural peace. Yeah. You can't explain it. Like I said, I never, never experienced fear. Wow. uh, I'm an emotional person, so I, you know, I did cry before the Lord and uh, put out my fleece, but uh, never felt alone. So fortunately, we went through this intense chemotherapy and uh, got through that. And uh, it was uh, December of 2019 and I got my updated PET scan and it seemed like the chemo had worked. That uh, the intense process uh, was victorious. Previous PET scans showed that I had at least 150 infected lymph nodes nodes in my body with the cancer. His torso area. It just lit up like fireworks in my body. And And when you see a PET scan like that, you see the body and then it's like all these bright spots all over and they're like, that's the cancer. And it's like, oh my gosh. And it just caught you off guard of the effect that was going on inside. And so after the treatment and after the, all the chemo and everything, uh, there was two spots about the size of a pea left. And it was so small that they couldn't test it. Oh. They were so uh, minute, but they still lit up. And so they said that could be uh, dead, dying, dying lymph nodes. They, they were pretty confident it wasn't cancer. But there was still the light up and they still could be a possibility that we didn't get it all. And so uh, for the next year, all of 2020, I had PET scans every three months. There, those two dots were, were there for the full year. I was feeling healthy again. I was able to go back to work. I thought life was yeah, on the track. upstream and uh, that we had beat this thing and that uh you know we were going to be able to get on with our lives and and begin to it gives you a new perspective on life we need to do the things we wanted to do we need to not keep waiting because there is no lease on life and you i mean you have no idea when it's going to come along and just you're going to be in eternity yeah you know and even though i was feeling healthy and, and better and and Confident it was gone. I, I never felt a hundred percent. I had from the treatment of the chemotherapy. They told me it would take years for my body to recover. I had tons of fatigue, tons of uh, odds and end side effects. 
but yeah, all in all, uh, I did well for the for the year of 2020. I was able to work, support my family, get finances back in order, and uh, you know, believe it or not, the, the the biggest thing was coming back to church. It was such an excitement to uh, yeah. be able to be a part of the congregation again. Can you tell me about that day? Can you tell me, like, what made you know you were ready to come back? Or Well, you know, after the chemo, my, you always have a compromised immune system and, you know, the fear of COVID. And my doctors were telling me, you know, I shouldn't be around oh, people. Yes. I had to be quarantined because, you know, the beginning of 2020 is when COVID really hit America. Right. And so I, I was precautious at the first, uh, but uh, I got so there's a, a period of time where you would live stream it. I live streamed for, okay. for almost a year wow. without being in church. When you were going through your treatment, were you in church uh, when you were going back and forth? Because I feel like I remember seeing you. I made church as much as yeah. possible. Because the one thing I remember, and I remember telling Lana this one time, was what was crazy is every time I saw you, you could tell you're going through the treatment and you're like losing your hair and stuff. You always had this big smile on your face every time. Oh, and nice. I remember telling her if, if somebody walked in church who had never been there and didn't know anything about anything, they would never think your dad was going through what you were going through. And I, cause I remember her saying the process and like, Oh, you know, it's long, you know, six days over there. And then he's back for two weeks, but it's still not rest. Your body is just going through all this stuff for two weeks just to. Yeah, because yeah. chemo is basically a poison right. to your yeah. system. But yeah. you always have that big smile on your face every time you're in church. And I was like. He oh made it gosh. look easy when I look. It was like, mm -hmm. and I used to tell him, you make this look so easy. I don't know if you're hiding everything <laughs> and it's horrible, but you make this look like it's a breeze. It was phenomenal and uh, once again i got to give credit to to god because i always felt that confidence mm -hmm. always had that feeling that he was with me and uh the one scripture that always stuck in my mind is uh we're of the world but we're not in the world and so uh i'm sorry we're in the world but not of the world and so uh life happens and we're not uh, guaranteed not to be affected by the things of this world. And so, but I knew that what's inside me, God, God was alive and that he had a plan and a purpose. And if that plan and purpose was to end my life through this disease, so be it. And uh, I, would, I knew where I was going. I knew eternity is forever and that uh, I had heaven as my home. The hardest part is always leaving the loved ones. That's what... Uh, yeah, the new grandson. It's what gives you the fight to, you know, a lot of it, to, to do the battles that you don't think you can do in these times. And uh, so that was an encouragement to me. So that's why I always had that smile. Sorry. And uh, after the year and uh, getting the good results and being healthy, 
in December, January of 2020, uh, I had another PET scan and I was informed that the cancer was bad. That uh, I now, that PET scan showed from those two little dots, I had approximately eight to nine infected lymph nodes in January. Within a three month period, they showed up like that. Yeah. And it was and like, so, oh and, no. And they were concerned because this type of cancer, they consider a very aggressive. Extremely. And aggressive. It, once it shows up, it shows up. It's so rare. Did you have a reference point of people who had made it? You know, with the HIPAA laws and really. all that kind of Couldn't thing. tell me any details. They just, you know, informed me that they did have 150 other patients and that, you know, they were kind of experimenting on them mm -hmm. as they were me, you know. He uh, was kind of the lab rat. Yeah, I was kind of an experiment truly. because, uh, like I said before, they, they didn't have a known cure and they had no no treatment that had ever been uh, successful. So I'm trying to think of the mind battle that this would bring because you're, you're going to these treatments that are incredibly painful and are gonna do all these things and, and you don't have the confidence that it's actually gonna take care of the cancer. That is no. correct, yeah. And it, and it was a mind battle and uh, that's when you had to just absolutely trust God a hundred percent that, and, and I was even at the point, it's like, if he dies and goes on, then that's what happens. But if he lives, you know, I'm, I'm contending for life. I don't want to be a widow at 58. I'm not going to do that. And uh, I just kind of like put in my heart that we're going to fight this yeah. all the way through and God's yeah. going to, he's in control and yeah. he'll take care of it. Because there was no hope, serious hope yeah, with the medical. Yeah, it's like yeah. they're just so you just have to lay this on God's lap and not take it back. And that was hard for me to do because I always want to take everything back and do something, you know. And it's but it was so big. Everything was so big. The finances, him, you know, are going back and forth and having to be away from home, and it was just all too much for anyone to do anything about except God. Wow. And uh, the way I got through it was uh, I, I read the scripture that, you know, we have to have a childlike faith. And, uh, you know, kids rely on their parents to do everything. And so I took God at his word and I said, God, I'm your child. Yes. And uh, I said, it will be what it'll be. And uh, you love me more than anybody. And the reality of thinking of what do I do with my life if he does go? What would my life be? What am I supposed to do? You know, but, and you, and it's funny because your mind can compartmentalize it. Okay, this is, you know, and then this. But it's like when you come down to it, I couldn't get to that point of just, seriously thinking of life without him that he's gone because I would just start to lose it. And so I would just be like, nope, um, I'm not even going to go there. Not even think about that. But, you know, it was like self-preservation. And then it's like, God's going to, God's going to help us. He's going to heal him. 
Wow. In June of 2019, they had done another CAT scan and my body was infected with, once again, over a hundred lymph nodes infected. Within a month. Within, within a month. Yeah. They did a PET scan and the eight yeah. or nine showed up and we got to see that. And then the next month they did it and it was full blown hundreds. So it was like the first one had the two, then three months later it was nine. And then within one month it was a hundred. And they were like, we got to do something now because it was like, he, yeah. he was, yeah, it was bad. And so, um, once again, they, the only, uh, it's all trial. It's right. all, there's no guarantees. And, uh, they said the next option was to do a, uh, call it, yeah, an auto stem cell replacement. And, uh, that process is kind of a bone marrow transplant where they take the technology and they take my bone marrow out of me pre-cancer. So they go in and get it before the cells had an opportunity to be infected with the cancer. It's like baby stem cells. Because you had to go through chemo, all chemo right. again before that. They right. had to kill everything in his body and then they took his stem cells and then we're making all these baby stem cells. To outside go back of his in, body. In, yes, outside. And so the process was in order for them to, to get can, uh, stem cells without cancer, they have to kill the cancer in my body, which meant another two weeks of intense chemotherapy. In the hospital. In the hospital and doing that process again. But this time, it, instead of the long-term long drip it was a short-term infusion of oh intense, intense because uh they time was of the essence mm -hmm. it was such an aggressive cancer that they wanted to get in there and get it killed because the stem cell process takes a few weeks to get going and to, mm -hmm. so they wanted to once again get in there and nip it in the bud and get this thing moving. Cause... And there again, then your whole immune system's gone again. Right. right. So you have to be really careful yeah. again. And so uh, I go through the process. The chemo works. Uh, I'm cancer-free for a short time, and they're able to do the uh, stem cell replacement. So that was in March 10th. They, uh, I remember the date specifically because uh, at they celebrate your uh, rebirth, they call it, of your cells in the hospital. And uh, they give you a little cupcake and a candle. And, you have you know, a new make, birthday. Yeah, you, you have, have a new birthday, birthday because all the cells in your body are new. Uh, they've all yeah. been replenished. Wait, with, what? <laughs> that, that, all of them? Yeah, they, they kill everything that's inside you except for my body went down to 3%. And so they have to do blood transfusions, plasma infusions. It's insane what they can do. It is Yeah, insane. the science behind this is so marvelous. It's, you know, even it's, 20 years ago, oh, they would have been dead. Yes. I go through a stem cell process using my own cells. Okay. And it takes... Uh, once again, on March 10th, uh, that process took place. 
but they won't know if it worked for three months. Okay, so a little bit more on this. So they have the party for yourselves, and then they're yeah. putting them back in you? Is that yes. what they're doing? Little babies. Yeah. Lots yes. and lots of little babies. They put them back in me, and my body begins to to recoup. So your cells are building and getting bigger and stronger, and then they're multiplying, and so you just have all these babies running through you, little baby cells. Yeah, it's like a... a a rebirthing of the cells because they took them all out. Is that why you look 20 years younger? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all wish we looked yeah. 20 years younger. Yeah. How did that feel? Your body is being reborn. Well, it, it almost felt like death. Uh, I uh, had zero physical strength. I had couldn't even feed myself barely. Uh, I was so weak. And so uh, you have to stay in the hospital three weeks after that process because of the ability to function and take care of yourself they do it for you and so with that process and uh, so after three weeks i could come home and but it was still a waiting game right and he was so weak and so lethargic and i mean it's all he could do was to get up out of bed and go lay on the couch and then at night come back into bed he just it just, it took everything out of him. Wow. And so that process went through, and in uh, June of 2019, I got the uh, results from that, June of 20. <laughs> I got the uh, results from my PET scan, and the uh, auto transplant did not work. I still had cancer in my body. And so, that was like another two by four to your head. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that it came back that quick, full. Yeah, force. That, that you know they had killed it prior to the stem cell transplant. They did this transplant, and after three months, it had returned. And so uh, you just uh, you just feel drained. Yeah. You feel mentally, you know. I remember us talking and I was like, what do you want to do? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. do you want to see what else? Because well, we you knew they were experimenting. That. Yes. You know, oh it's like God. nothing seems to be working. Yeah. How much do you do? But you, you know, you want to live. I think right. when it comes to a point where you know you can die, you want to fight to live with everything in you. And, you know, you think of all the stress and worries that you put on your the people that care about you. You know, I had to tell my kids that it didn't work. I had to tell my siblings. Uh, I had to tell my in-laws. And so, but fortunately, they're all believers. And they had faith and hope that this wasn't the end. And so, you know, the doctors... You know, they're brainstorming. Fortunately, I had fantastic doctors. They got a hold of people all over and said, what can we do? Right. Let's figure this out. I mean, there was not just one brain working. There were right. There tons was a of team them. of doctors. I feel there. like the Mayo Clinic is incredible for that. They are. Incredible. They like get all the best brains together. Like, what can we try this? Can we try that? And when we, when he first got sick I said we are going to Mayo I said because they're the best of the best and this is your life this is your life on the line we're going to the very best whatever the cost yes you know yeah and so after the brainstorming and the you know the 
the whole mental assault, they said, uh, you know, there's one more option that they're willing to try if, if I'm up for it. And that's what they call an alloy transplant, which is transplant from a donor. They find somebody cells. Okay. that has your, that match your stem cells. And uh, they have a, system in place that you can be registered and they can seek and search for uh, a match. They said that, you know, there's pretty good possibility they'll be able to find one through their registry. And it could be someone from Afghanistan. It could be yeah, someone from they, Europe. Whoever's willing to put their stem cells out there for other people. That's crazy. I didn't even know that was the thing. Yeah. Like they said sometimes, you know, siblings are your best option and so they like to test them first before they put you through the registry to find a donor and so uh i get a hold of i have three brothers and a sister fortunately i have several siblings and uh so i put it out to them are they willing to you know be tested and donate their cells to me if and of course they all were and so my sister gets tested first she's a 50 percent match which they, they can't use. They it has not, to be 100%. That's not good enough. Oh, wow. Okay. 100%. So then I have another brother test, and he's a zero. Zero. He has so we were like, who's the mailman? Because <laughs> you have to have some. Yeah. Well, the doctor said that's not uncommon. It's, uh, yeah, because I had questioned that too. And uh, he's a 100% match. They said that is fairly rare. Wow. wow. What percentage could they use? Uh, it has to be a hundred. Oh, it has, it to, has be to be a hundred. They said they could and use 90. The results with those numbers aren't usually good. And the older the person is, the more likely that it won't work very well. Wow. Right. So the younger someone is, that's why they were his sister first. She's the youngest, gotcha. but it's like 50%. They can't do anything with that. Yeah. So how, how long would the test take before you found out? Well, all my siblings were out of state, so they mailed them the test. Okay. They had to go. It took about a week for okay. each one to be tested. And, uh, Seems like a year. Yeah. Forever. So it took about three weeks before I knew an that my uh, brother Jeff was a Now, was he back match. in America at the time? He was. Wow. He was uh, he's pastoring in Albuquerque which was fortunate. He was the closest sibling I had. The rest live in New York. And so uh, he so was willing he, to come and donate himself. Yeah, ask cells. him if he can do it. Because he's, he's the baby of the family that, you know, someone throws up and he's gagging, running to the other. And I'm like, oh, it figures. Now we got to, you know, suck all this blood out of you. And you're just, you know. It is like, a process. Ah. They, do, they do go through... Uh, it is definitely a, a sacrifice for them to donate their cells. And it was supposed to be, you know, like three days or whatever, but then they didn't get enough cells from him. So then it was another day and then he got weak and had to have a blood transfusion. And so it went on for like six days. This simple thing turned into a big deal. Yeah. Wow. Fortunately, they got enough and uh, everything went smooth after that. And, uh, I could not have chemo again. My body was so bad, but they put me on this experimental drug 
that they were not sure if it would kill the chemo or kill the cancer or not. But my body was so beat up from all the treatments of chemo that they were afraid that it would do permanent damage. They once again got their minds together and grouped together and discussed and they came up with this experimental drug that worked on the ALK cell, which I had the problem with, but it, it was only used for lung cancer. It had never been used lymphoma. in lymphoma. And so yeah. it was 100% experimental. They did not know if it was going to work or not work. And uh, if it didn't work, they were kind of, that was it. This third treatment was like, this is all we can yeah. do. So that treatment, is that before uh, Jeff's cells are injected in you? or Yes. After? Okay, because you have to be clear before. I have to be 100% cancer free before they inject. The so if this doesn't cells. work, then their cells are probably going to be useless. Yeah. And so uh, they wow. put me on a two-week regimen of this experimental drug. And then they do another PET scan. So there's so many things that are up in the air. It's all experiment. You don't even have a life anymore. Yeah, You're just uh, at the doctors, at the doctors, at the yeah, doctors. Yeah, they, they, they have me in the research books. I'm in the John Hopkins Hospital Records, Mayo wow. Clinic Hospital Records. Did you sign uh, it at least? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, so I have three hands. hospitals that are keeping an eye on research. You know, I had to sign a bunch of documents saying... I'm not getting paid for this, and it's just research only. Now, I'm just curious: did these, did any of these fall into that um, like right to try? Like, did you actually have to sign a waiver for them because they were experimental with this drug? Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah. Was that something you guys had to decide together? Yeah, we discussed it. Brought our kids and and, yeah. and discussed it with the them. Decision. And we had a family sit down yeah. and. Uh, we all came to the same conclusion. Kids were like, definitely, no, you keep going. We're not, you know. And uh, so we did the experiment, the two weeks of the heavy dose of the experimental drug. And uh, it worked. Jeez. It uh, took care of the cancer. So once again, I was able to do stem a stem cell replacement using my brother's stem cells. So... That process took uh, an alloy stem cell replacement is a little more intense because there's the possibility of uh, rejection. rejection and that uh, those cells won't, it could affect your liver, your kidneys because uh, they're not yours. They're not yours. And so it's another cell taking control of your body. And so uh, it's a little more intense process, a little longer stay in the hospital. And uh, I was unable to uh, you couldn't come home for three months. I had to, mm -hmm. to stay down in Phoenix and live with my son for three months because wow. they did not want me more than a half hour away from the hospital. Because wow. if something was to happen, I needed care immediately because of the uh, possibilities of rejection and heart attacks and kidney failure and liver issues and all that stuff. So it was monitored very close. So I had a 
stint of three weeks in the hospital and then three months in Tempe with my son and daughter-in-law. And right before he started, because I was going back and forth some and then staying down in Phoenix, right before he started his stem cell, you know, he's at my son's and being all careful and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, I came down with COVID. And so I had to come to Prescott and I was up here for two and a half weeks by myself. And then they won't let you anywhere near him. No. And it was like, so he's down there. I'm up here sick as it can be. I've never had anything hidden like that. And then once I got better though, and I was care, it was like, okay, I can't go down for another week. I feel good, but I can't go. And he's going through this and, and then, you know, to drive down and be there for three or four days and then come back up. And it was just like this overwhelming. Yeah. We felt like a rat in this little trap running around, running around, running around. I'm feeling bad for her feeling bad for her because there's no one there to help her and so but then uh so the process begins again and my brother comes donates his cells and uh on september 18th i get my second stem cell transplant and uh once again, I get a birthday cake. I was thinking they better have given him a cake. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. after all this, they're going to take more. Yeah. Out. <laughs> Don't they take it from your neck or something? Yes. These big wire things all connected and taped to his neck for six days. Poor wow. guy. And they tap, tap into your juggler vein. That's yeah. right to your heart. So that's really good. It looked horrible. Yeah. And so the process went through, I get another birthday cake and, uh, but the waiting process also, cause they don't know if this is going to yeah. work or not work yeah. again. I have to wait another three months. You were on anti-rejection medicine. Yeah. I went through all that process, bunch of medicines, bunch of. This is a guy that never had a pill in his life and now you yeah. should see our counter. And, uh, so, uh, September 18th, I have a birthday party. They celebrate. I'm able to go to, yeah, my sons and spend three months there. And then uh, it was actually December 24th. I had another PET scan and uh, right before Christmas. And And I was praying, God, it's a Christmas thing and you have to give us that Christmas miracle because I wasn't ready on, you know, the day before Christmas to hear, no, you're still going to die. I just... It was like, uh-uh, that's not happening. And so I go into the doctor's office on the 24th. I uh, had my scan earlier that morning. And it's one thing about Mayo Clinic, their, their timing quick. is quick. They, yeah. they process things. You get your information within six to seven hours. Wow. And so, you know, uh, the emotions you're going through is just... I can't explain them. Lana was down in Tempe because we were all going to spend Christmas down there because he couldn't go home yet. And so here we're all waiting the day before Christmas. It was was not the happiest season of all. But I I get the news on the 24th that uh, it's my first ever 100% clean uh, pet skin. There showed nothing. It showed nothing. Nothing lit up. So, were was, you there with them? Yeah, it was. So I knew 
that uh, it had worked and uh, did it sink in right away when you didn't see it or did it were you looking like you know you like, always have that little fear deep down inside like uh you know yeah but, yeah because you see things and you don't know what they are but the doctor says oh no that's nothing no, no that's you know, not that, you know yeah this is what we're looking for that's that's your kidney that's nothing <laughs> we're not taking that's that that's the out. birthday cake <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so that was my first ever in three years of a clean pet scan wow and uh it just was the best gift ever. Absolutely. Christmas is really good, man. And so tell me about calling your kids. So well, you call them right away? No, we, we wanted to tell them in person. And they were all in Tempe. So yeah. uh, we we got there and, uh, you know, we're a little sarcastic family. <laughs> <laughs> Not us. <laughs> no. So, you know, we all walk in a little, you know, Oh, you did it. No, you did it. Not not shouting the victory as of yet. (laughs) We got to tell you guys. Oh, oh my gosh. And then we break the good news and we all go on a cry fest. We have one of the best Christmases ever. Wow. And so... And then in January, you got to come home, finally. Yep, January 1st, I got to come home. But he was still, his immune system, they told him, you can't be around. It's going to be a year before your immune system's normal again. So again, no church, not being around anybody. He had yes. to be home. And so that was live streaming again. But you feel so, you know, I could go, but I had to be really careful too. I didn't go for about six months just because if I brought something home to him. Yeah. It could kill him. Yeah. And so it was make another. Me very sick torturous thing you know yes and so now it's been a year and a half wow. cancer free they've been and doing pet scans every three months yeah because they want to follow sure. up on him because, sure. because they don't have anything to go by oh, wow and it's been clear every time and i and i know i was able to get through this process and this trial i know science played a big part in it and all the things that but I know it was the healing power of Jesus Christ that uh, ultimately gave me the strength, the faith, and the encouragement, the love, uh, just the, the base of the believers, the prayers. I can't tell you uh, everything I felt and everything that God's done is, is so miraculous that uh, I've, I'm a changed man. It, uh, and like I said, it's been a year and a half, and I'm cancer-free. And uh, to get back to that question of what happened to the 150 people that was before me, in uh, March of this year, I had another scan, met with the doctor, and uh, he had told me at that time that... Uh, the previous 150 people on record with my type of cancer had it all passed. He told Scott that he was the one of one now, and we were like, what do you mean? And he said, you're the one out of all those people that have lived over a year. Yeah. You're the only one. They've all passed, and that uh, I was going in the record books of the first person that lived over, that a, year lived over a year with this type of cancer. And without Jesus Christ in my life, I know that uh, I would be a statistic like everybody else.
and that uh, he uh, he brought me through this by the blood shed upon Calvary's tree and his healing power. And uh, just want to give him all the praise for helping me and keeping my family safe and meeting all the needs that uh, this trial brought into our lives. But I do believe we're better people and uh, stronger Christians. Absolutely. And have a faith that is more powerful than ever because of uh, what God did for me. Like, and when you go through this, you think, you know, you're thinking, and people probably think, what good could ever come of that? You know, all it's done is change your life and upheaval of your life. And But I mean, for me, which seems really weird, but God did use it to help me, to change me, to give me a faith in him that I can believe on his promises now and just say, God, I need you to do this. It's got to happen. And totally trust in it, lean in that, which I've never done. And I'm telling you what, he comes through every time. This whole time, I mean, Scott, the, the other stem cells, he didn't work for a whole year again. And then it's like, what are we going to do again? You know, but I'm telling you, God came through with every need. And it, and I've had such a peace. I, I could never understand when I would read in the Bible, the peace surpasses all understanding. I, I have that now. And it's like, I'm never going to let that go. I'm, it's like, you know. I'm hooked on getting the promises of God. I'm hooked on just, you know. I appreciate that you go into that part because I think for people that especially haven't gone through something like this, you don't realize that all the other parts of your life go on. It's like the, the world doesn't care if, you know, you're going through this tragedy. They're like, okay, well, I still need my payment. And how, how taxing that is on people that are, you know, going through this thing. And that in those times that God comes through, because it's yeah. such a big thing. I think a lot of people, they just, they don't think about that. They just think, oh, it's fine. It'll, you know. Yeah, they'll get through it. Yeah, it's, it'll you know, happen or whatever. And yeah. it's like, no, like you don't understand that in addition to going through this um, sickness and these might like everything that comes with that is like then everything that you would normally worry about whatever is still there yeah you still have to and deal with and, it. and what do you do you know you can't just stop you know the world doesn't stop so um man that that's god that's gives amazing. you the strength yeah it just he just does it's a supernatural thing because in ourselves we can't we can't do anything about any of it you know can you tell me a little bit more about, you said that perspective of everything changes, right? Where you're like, we don't have forever. Let's do some of the things we want to do. I'm curious a little bit more about that. And also the effect it had on your family. Do you feel like you guys got a lot closer? Like I'm thinking to myself, the opportunity for my dad to live with me for three months, like yeah. you living with your son for three months. It takes, you know, a situation like that to do something that's kind of cool that you wouldn't. When I, you know, I, when it first all started happening and we have to be in Phoenix and blah, 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 I told Greg, I said, I don't know what to do. I said, he's not working. I, I, I don't even know how to pay bills. And now I've got to pay hotel or we got to find an Airbnb. Or, I can't afford that. And I can't afford to drive back and forth every single day. 
And he just looked at me and he was like, mom, he's like, don't be stupid. He goes, you're going to live with us. And it's like, oh yeah, well, we'll see what Jackie says about that. You know, they they were only married a couple of years and it's an intrusion in someone's life. You know, your in-laws. Yeah, my in-laws are living with us. But she was so gracious and it was just, it was not a problem at all. We didn't have fights. We didn't have arguments. It was just, it went so smooth and it brought us so much closer. Closer, And I mean, Jackie's, she's truly my daughter. It's like I've gained a true daughter in our family because of all this. God just worked in so many ways that you would never even think. You know, and and then Lana had to be up here by herself. I think it gave her a strength, you know, that she could also trust in God. And even though she couldn't be with us, she she was with us in spirit and prayers. Absolutely. That was one thing I was going to say, too, is... um, with Lana, I remember when the cancer came back and everything the the last time she was like, you heard, right? And I said, yeah, I thought I heard something. I'm not sure. And she goes, yeah, but this is it. Like, if this doesn't work, this is it. Yeah. Like, for reals. And she's like, but it's fine because God's going to heal him. Like, she, yeah. like, no doubt. Like, of course, she was like, I'm sure scared. And what, but she was like, just pray for him because she's like, God has to heal him. And he's yeah. going to because he has to. Like, yeah. you know, and I was like. Right on. Yes. He has to. Yes, ma'am. But it was like no doubt. Like, no, like God's going to heal. Yeah. This is last. Yeah, we never were like, oh, poor us. Oh, da, da, da. It was just like, hey, God's going to do it. We're standing on that faith. And it's crazy because then I was like, yeah, yeah, God's going to heal him. And then now hearing the whole story that it's like. It was easy for me as someone on the outside to be like, yeah, absolutely. God's going to heal him. Let's pray for him. But Lana, knowing all the intricacies and all the letdowns and stuff that she's still at the end. And like you said, she wasn't able to be there all the time. was like, no, God's going to heal my dad. That's the only option at this point. I was like, such a perspective. One little tidbit, just some type of uh, humor is uh, this last time I, I... Went up to Pastor Greg, and I said, well, this is it. I said, uh, this doesn't work. I'm counting on you. He goes, me? I go, yeah. I said, you're going to raise me from the dead. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I said, that's our only hope. If the, if the, this treatment and then God doesn't heal me, that uh, you're going to come pray for me and raise me from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, like, no pressure. Stop. Yeah. You know? He's like, no pressure. <laughs> um, and one thing we did ask the doctor within, like, the first series of treatments, we were worried about this being genetic, that it could go to our children or our grandchildren, which is something you would never want to pass on to anyone. And... um they came back right away and said, this kind of cancer has nothing to do with anything genetic. This is a fluke cancer. They have no ideas why, where, whatever. It's just happened to him. Wow. But if people can learn from it, that's why he's in all these things. And we've signed everything off saying, yes, yes. If if someone else's life can be saved by what he went through, then absolutely. You yeah. can have any knowledge you want. The books are open, you know. That's a powerful thought. Yes. Like you don't know whose life's going to be saved. Right. Who's, by that. 
who can have hope in my results. Right. And I hope uh, that it's not just a dead end, that there is exactly. life after all that. Yeah. And I bet during that time, I'm just trying to think like every family gathering and every birthday party probably has a whole new meeting. It does. It gives you uh, just a, a joy and, uh, you know, life does still go on. Yeah. And so it's things like this that we appreciate the, the understanding of the miracles that God did do for us and give us that perspective of everyday life. Just People time. are the most important thing in life. Yes, they are. And, and that, you kind of forget that because you get busy in life. And that material things don't matter. No. You know, they're... You could lose it all in a heartbeat. Yeah. Life could, like a vapor, here one minute and gone the next. And so it's just given us a, a joy to to meet new people, to... To reach out to, reach out people, to, to new relationships. In people's lives. And, and, uh, you know, and I've had a couple people come up and say... You know, just watching you or what you've gone through really helped me go mm -hmm. through something, something. And it's like, mm -hmm. and if that's the reason we've gone through it, then it was worth it all. You know, it's it's more than just the cancer and the nightmare of it. It's that God can use it in so many different aspects for so many different people. Anyone going through it right now, and maybe they're at the really desperate place or the despair place, what do you say to them? I would say never give up. Stay focused on the important things in life. Keep the main thing the main thing. Put Jesus first, and no matter the outcome of the circumstances, that uh, he loves you more than anybody else. And uh, your family and your friends will all understand that God has a plan and a purpose. And uh, just trust in him. I say, too, just keep your eyes on Jesus and just never lose hope. Yeah. There's so many scriptures in the Bible about hope. And hope is, if you lose hope, I think you lose everything. You got to hold on to that with everything, even if it's by your fingernails, by a thread, you hold on to that. Mm -hmm. I've heard it that sometimes the spouse of someone going through something like this, it's almost like they get forgotten as far as like how difficult it can be and, and how taxing it is to see someone that you love so much go through something. Is there anything specific that you want to say to maybe a spouse of someone that's going through it? Well, it's hard because even for my, you know, my kids are adult kids, but you don't tell them everything that's going on and all the hardships because they really, they don't need to hear all the gory details. And so there's no one to talk to about any of it. There's just, there you are and you deal with it and you, you know, so you actually and it protected is. your kids from some of the gory details. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And 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 the details of how I'm feeling or what I'm going through. Sure. Or, oh, my gosh. And the worry and the fret. It's like, no, I can't do that. You're trying because, to be strong for Yeah. Them. You try to be strong for him. You try to be strong for them. And be, you know, and it's, it is really hard. But that's the one thing I clung to was hope. It's like, God, you're going to carry me through this. And it's. 
it was some of the hardest times of my life and being alone and feeling like you had to do everything on your own. But can I tell you what? There's so many people that love and care about people. All you have to do is ask someone for help. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, can you pay my house payment? It's like, can we just go have a cup of coffee and and just talk about something happy and good, yeah. you know, to take yourself out of that exact moment. Is there any specific people that, that were just your people during that time? Yeah, I had uh, several people that really, uh, I don't know if you want to call it stepped up, but uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Pastor Olson because I yeah. was uh, in the Tempe Church. And it's, you know, in the Tempe, and he came to the hospital and prayed for me and uh, just gave me that hope and that encouragement when in a time of need. And uh, it was, uh, I have so many people that, you know, text me because, you know, they couldn't come see me with uh, everything that was going on. But I have uh, just numerous uh friends i mean i could list several that uh mm -hmm. just uh i felt like i wasn't forgotten yeah even though i was down in tempe and going through this battle and fighting for my life uh i had uh, people that would uh, just reach out to me and i think it was god inspired that you weren't alone that uh, there was uh, people praying for me people caring for me and, uh, you know, just, uh, the understanding that, you know, uh, the base of friendships and family I had through this trial and tribulation, uh, was amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you, in the process of, you know, all the things that went through the, uh, Mayo Clinic, they have social workers and, pastors that come in into the rooms and I can, you know, and I can honestly say that, you know, uh, they were always impressed with my faith and the support system through uh, the congregation, through my headship, through the fellowship of other pastors. And uh, they said that is very rare, that they don't see that type of support system very often. And they would often come into our rooms, the nurses and stuff, and we'd be joking and laughing or, you know, when Gregor Lana would come in, we would just, you know, be tearing it up because that's the days. And um, they would just be amazed because, you know, they don't go into rooms where there's happiness and joy. And we're like, we made a decision. You either laugh or you cry. And we're the laughers. Yeah. And we are the sarcastic ones. <laughs> and we would, he would tease with the nurses, say things like, I can't even remember some of them, but the nurses would laugh and just be like, oh my gosh, you guys. And it's like, they'd always make say, that you're choice. the best patient ever. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They're going to start willing you around to encourage yeah. you. Yeah. They're yeah. like, great, go. We need some like, laughs in aisle two yeah. over there. Be one of those support dogs. <laughs> you know, there, there are people that when someone they know is going through something like this, they can't be involved or they can't. It's just not. I don't know if they're afraid or they don't know what to say or something like that, but it's just be encouraging 
to just be that person that comes up and says, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you or something little like that. You don't have to go out of your comfort zone, but just to let people know that you're still there for them when they're going through something like this. The simplest little words can make the hugest difference. Thank you guys so much for being willing to come on and just share and, and open your hearts and be vulnerable and everything. Yeah, and we just hope it uh, encourages somebody and gives somebody hope and faith that uh, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, and there's that light at the tunnel one way or another. And now it's documented.